الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد إن شاء الله today we will be covering سورة الماعون سورة الماعون uh, is said to be predominantly a مكي سورة some scholars have said that the first half of it is مكي but then the second half of it is مدني uh, because of some of the content in the surah um, seems to be indicative that it could be madani. Uh, it pertains to certain obligations that we know were formalized in, in Medina Munawwara. But predominantly it is considered makki. <clears throat> we will begin with the recitation of the surah and then inshallah we'll go through its meanings and its commentary. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم أرأيت الذي يكذب بالدين فذلك الذي يدع اليتيم ولا يحض على طعام المسكين فويل للمصلين الذين هم عن صلاتهم ساهون الذين هم يراءون ويمنعون الماعون أرأيت الذي يكذب بالدين Have you seen the one who denies the final judgment? الدين In Arabic generally we use this word also in Urdu to mean religion دين But one of its Meanings is actually uh, it refers to the day of judgment. The reason is because dana yadinu means to get compensation for something that you did, recompense. In the Quran, for example, in Surah Al-Fatiha, we recite Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin, Master of the Day of Judgment. Right? Why? Because Dana Yadinu means a day, it refers to uh, uh, recompense. In one, uh, it's one commonly said statement, Kama tudinu tudanu. In English, we can translate this as you reap what you sow. Kama tudinu tudanu. There's an idea of recompense. The actions that you do, whatever they may be, good or evil, you will see the result of it. You do good, the, re the result of good is reward. You do evil, the result of evil is punishment. So a deen here is referring to the day of judgment. Have you seen the one who denies, who belies the day of judgment? That's the idea. So from here we can understand that this surah is going to be speaking about non-Muslims. Is going to be speaking about those people who deny and refuse to accept the final day of judgment. However, within this surah, there are certain characteristics that it talks about that those who are Muslims should also be aware of. Okay, they should also be aware of. Because the idea is the following characteristics that are mentioned in this surah, these are characteristics and attributes and qualities of the disbelievers or of the hypocrites. 
These are not qualities of the Muslims, right? Because the very first ayah already sets the tone that this is speaking about those who do not believe in the hereafter. Okay, who are these people? This is the same individual that does what? فَذَٰلِكَ الَّذِي This is that person, this is the same individual who also repels the orphan. يَدُعُ دَعَى يَدُعُ is to turn down someone with contempt. Turn down someone with contempt. And who does he turn down? The person who has the lowest uh, 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 ability to protect and guard himself. And that is the yatim, the orphan. That is the orphan. Okay. This is his first quality. He turns down and he repels the orphan. And the orphan comes to him for assistance. He comes to him for aid. He comes to him seeking help, but he turns him down. He repels him. Okay. Number three. As first number three. And he will not urge to feed those who are poor. Al-miskeen. Okay. He will not urge. To encourage and to urge to feed the poor. And he himself doesn't feed the poor, nor does he encourage other people to feed the poor either. So woe be on to the one Woe be on to those who pray. And what is the characteristic of their prayer? So it's not talking about all people who pray. Those people who pray and those who are completely unmindful about their prayers. They are unmindful. Those who make a show of their worship. وَيَمْنَعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ And they withhold الْمَاعُونَ Okay, this surah is then named after this last word that comes in this surah, الْمَاعُونَ الْمَاعُونَ, by the way, um, in Arabic, it refers to anything that is small or that is, you know, like a common household item. Okay, that's a common household item. That is called Al-Ma'un. But inshallah, we'll get back to this ayah uh, as we go through the explanation of it. So the very first thing is, we're talking about the hereafter. One of the most fundamental, foundational beliefs of the Muslim after Tawheed is the belief of the Day of Judgment. Is the belief, uh, is the belief in the Day of Judgment. Imam Ghazali rahimahullah used to say that if you see a Muslim who's committing sins and who's unmindful of Allah, know that either there's some weakness in one of two things. Either he has weak taqwa or he has weak iman in the hereafter. Taqwa is the idea and the concept that you recognize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching you and you are aware and you are cognizant that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching everything that you're doing. Of course, if a person has that type of mindset and a person is cognizant of that at all times that Allah ta'ala is watching me, what's going to happen? This person is going to stay away from sins. He's going to be careful. Every step that he takes, he's going to think, is this a step 
towards something that Allah likes or a step towards something that Allah dislikes. Often, when we find ourselves committing sins, we'll find that it's because we're not aware, we're not cognizant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We're not conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That's what we call negligence. When a person becomes unmindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that's when he or she ends up committing a sin. Either that, or they don't believe in the hereafter, or their, their iman in the hereafter is very weak. Because the idea about the hereafter is that in this world, you may or may not get punished or rewarded for your actions. Definitely, you will not get rewarded or punished for all of your actions. That's why we see in this world, often we do good deeds, but the reward of it we may not see in this world. Or we do something evil, we, we're not punished immediately. That is a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that when we commit any sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us some time uh, to, to uh, seek forgiveness. And Allah Ta'ala doesn't send down his punishment immediately. It's a mercy from Allah Ta'ala. But all of that will be carried out on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Huh. There will be some impact, some effect of the actions that you do. Any good action that you do, you will find the benefit and some of the fruits of it in this world. And anytime you do evil actions, you will find some sort of you know, negative impact of it in this world. But the complete reward and punishment of it will be in the hereafter. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to reward someone, that will be out of his mercy. And if Allah decides to punish someone, that will be out of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's justice. But when a person has that in mind, every action that I do, I will be held accountable for it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. It will be presented to me. I will be asked about it. Then a person will be careful about each action that he or she does. Whoever does an Adam's worth an Adam's weight of good deed, he will see it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And whoever does an Adam's weight of evil, he will see it on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. The angels that Allah Ta'ala has appointed, the Kiramun Katibin, they are there constantly writing down our deeds. There are deeds that sometimes we forget. We don't even remember. On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, our ledgers will be presented in front of us. Every single action, when it was done with 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 extreme detail will be presented to us. When it was committed, how it was committed, where was it committed, every single thing will be there. It comes in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala speaks about the kuffar, that when they, their books will be presented to them and they will see it, they will be astonished. They say, It does not withhold, it does not leave behind any deed, neither big nor small. And they will find whatever they did, they will find it present in that book. Not only that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will, will have a person's limbs speak. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will have a person's limbs speak on Yawmul Qiyamah. يَوْمَ تَشْهَدُ عَلَيْهِمْ أَلْسِنَتُهُمْ وَأَيْدِيهِمْ وَأَرْجُلُهُمْ بِمَا كَانُوا يَعْمَلُونَ On that day, a person's tongue will speak. A tongue will speak. Uh, on that day, a person's uh, um, uh, hands will speak. A person's feet will speak. In another place in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, talks about it that on Yawmul Qiyamah, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders that a person's limbs speak, the person will say to himself, Allah Ta'ala says, uh, 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 On that day, what, what will happen is when they come to it uh, and are questioned about their life in the world, their ears, their eyes, and their very skins, all of them will bear witness against that person's own soul. For all that they used to do. And the people will say, they will say to their own skins, Why do you bear witness against us? They will say, They will say in response that Allah, who causes everything to speak, has caused us to speak. And he, and he is the one who created you in the first place. To, you, you have to, to him you have to return. In this world, you know, these individuals used to think that uh, we could get away with actions, we could get away with oppression, we could get away with corruption, but on Yawmul Qiyamah, every single action that a person does, he will be held accountable for it. And so, the disbeliever, the one who does not believe in Allah and His Rasul, he completely denies the hereafter. And the mushrikeen of Mecca, they used to ask the Prophet, how is it possible? How is it possible that after we die, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resurrect us again? When we become bones and when we become dust, how will Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resurrect us? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again and again reminds them, isn't it Allah who created you the very first time? Isn't it Allah who created you the very first time? Why is it difficult for him to then recreate you? Why is it difficult for him to give you death and then bring you back to life? He's the one who created you. He's the one who will give you death. He is the one that will bring you back to life. And these individuals, they have no, they completely deny it. And it's because of their denial, then they think that this world, the individuals who do not see beyond this world, it means that this, this world is all that they know. This world is the extent this world is the extent of their knowledge. They cannot think beyond it. And that's why you will find that the people of the dunya, they cannot think past this world. They will try to get whatever they can in this dunya. Why? Because they don't have any a concept of the hereafter. And you see these types of statements quite often. You know, sometimes even the youth get uh, 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 um, 
exposed to them and they get influenced by them. You hear statements like, you know, YOLO, you only live once. It is true you only live once, but the way they use this statement is, and you do what you want because you only have one life to live. So you do what you want right now in this life. What is our concept? You only live once in this dunya, but then in the hereafter, you're going to be accountable for what you did in this dunya. That is the Muslim's perspective. But for the one who doesn't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then for him, the dunya is all that he knows. It's all that she knows. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, فَأَعْرِضْ عَمَّنْ تَوَلَّى عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا So turn away, O Prophet from one who turns away from our remembrance. وَلَمْ يُرِدْ إِلَّا الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا And desires nothing but, the wor- but this world. But, and does not desire and accept this worldly life. وَلَمْ يُرِدْ إِلَّا الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا ذَلِكَ مَبْلَغُهُمْ مِنَ الْعِلْمِ That is the extent of their knowledge. That is the extent of their knowledge. إِنَّ رَبَّكَ هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ ضَلَّ عَنْ سَبِيلِهِ وَهُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنْ اِهْتَدَى And indeed your Lord, He is well aware, He is the most knowledgeable about who has gone astray and about one who He has guided. That is the extent of their knowledge. And that's why all their efforts are then limited to this world. They are limited to this world. And when the hereafter is brought to them, as Allah Ta'ala also mentioned in the Quran about some of them, when some of them are reminded about the hereafter, what is their response? Some of them say, oh, well, if in this world Allah has given me so much, in the hereafter Allah must give me this much as well. And if I'm living such a nice life here, I'll probably live a nice life there. It's not a guarantee. Don't make an analogy of the lifestyle here to the lifestyle there. It is very possible that a person in this life believes in Allah and he believes in the Prophet and he believes in the hereafter, but he has nothing. He doesn't even have a penny to his name. And on Yawmul Qiyamah, he will be raised like a king. He will be given paradise. Whereas a person in this life disbelieved in Allah, disbelieved in the messenger of Allah, disbelieved in the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he took money uh, uh, he took money unjustly. He oppressed other people. He usurped people's wealth. He caused corruption on the earth. He lived like a king in this world. On Yomul Qiyamah, he will be burning in the fire of Jahannam. So don't make, don't think that just because you live a certain life in this world that that's how it's going to be in the hereafter. No, the life of the hereafter, you will be taken into account for what you did in this life. And starting with the very first thing is, did you have tawheed? Did you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or not? And then, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ You find that these two come together. الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ Those who believe in Allah and those who do righteous deeds. So we believe in Allah and the sign of our, uh, the proof of our iman in Allah is we carry out righteous deeds. So very first, he denies, he denies and belies the day of judgment. Because of that, what is it? What does he do? He is the one who turns down, who repels the orphan. He repels the orphan. We have in our sometimes in our communities, uh, there are children whose uh, parents have passed away. There, what, what, you know, what used to happen 
is that a child, if his father passes away, he would be considered an orphan. And then someone else from his family would be the guardian of his wealth, maybe an uncle or maybe someone else. Now, you know, you would think, you would think that, oh, well, you know, a person who's an orphan and you take custody of their wealth, you would think that, you know what, I will take care of his wealth, I will, I will take care of his well-being. But if you're not careful, if you're not careful, shaitan can <coughs> cause you to misuse his wealth. And a day may come when he asks for his wealth back and the person refuses to give his wealth. And instead of showing mercy and kindness to him, he repels him. He repels him. In the hadith, the Prophet said, Prophet I and the one who, who properly takes care of the needs of the of the uh, uh, orphan, we are we are like this in in Jannah. Meaning, he pointed, he showed his two fingers, his index finger and his uh, middle finger, and he will be very close. Why? The Prophet himself was yetim. His father passed away before he was born. His mother passed away at the age of six. Subhanallah. The Nabi himself was an orphan. Okay? So this, is this, this individual, because of his greed, he does not even take care of the orphan. Yani the one who is the weakest in the, in, the, in the society. right? The weakest in the society is, is the orphan. But at the same time, he does not even encourage and urge the feeding of the poor. This is the second weakest in, this, in the society. These could be individuals who are older, who, who are, once, you, once you've reached the age of bulugh, once you've reached you know, uh, physical maturity and puberty, you're no longer considered an orphan. Now you can work. But there are times where people Despite you know uh, uh, having uh, you know being older, having you know the physical ability, there's still certain situations and circumstances that sometimes they're put in that they're not able to make money. It happens. We see in our society today, Subhanallah, a person loses his job. He's he's trying his best. He's trying his best to get another job. He's doing whatever is in his capacity. Yet he's still not able to make ends meet. So this type of individual, he doesn't even feed the poor. He didn't have. He has no concern for that. He neither neither does that, nor does he encourage or urge for that. Notice, notice that this is a type of person who is only only focused on the dunya, because in his mind, if he's going to help the the orphan, if he's going to help the poor, it means he's going to have to take out his time. It's going to mean he's going to have to spend his own money. And he's so stingy, he's not even going to urge other people to feed the poor. Now from here, some scholars say that the next couple ayat were revealed in Medina. Because prayer is one of those things that was obligated in Makkah Mukarra, in Medina Tayyiba, in its proper form. Allah Ta'ala knows best. It, there are some narrations that towards the end of the Meccan period, prayer did become obligated. Prayer did become obligated towards the end of the Meccan period. Okay, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ And 
However, here, who's going to be praying? Who's going to be praying? It's going to be the believers. In Makkah Mukarramah, there was no worry and concern about hypocrites. In Makkah, it was very clear. The enemy was very clear. Either you're a Muslim or you're not a Muslim. And anyone who was not a Muslim made it very clear that he wasn't a Muslim. But in Medina, the situation was a little different. In Medina, the situation was a little different. Why? Because in Medina, the Prophet ﷺ had authority there. And he had the Muslims, the Ansar and the Muhajirun were with him. And so there were some individuals who did, did not believe in Allah, did not believe in Rasulullah but they were afraid that if they expressed that, they would lose out. They would lose out. And so what, what was their, they were hypocrites. So when they prayed, they only prayed to show off. They only prayed to show that they were Muslims. Otherwise, if they were in their private life, they were not Muslims. They were not Muslims from their heart. About them, Allah Ta'ala mentions different, different ayat. They try to deceive Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. But in fact, they're not deceiving Allah, they're deceiving themselves because Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the, is the one who knows everything. They deceive themselves. They come to the prayer, Gusala. Allah Ta'ala mentions the Quran. When they stand in prayer, they stand lazily. They stand with complete and utter laziness. Why? Because they don't want to pray. They're being forced to pray. They know that if they don't pray with any, it just to show you the importance of prayer. In the time of the Prophet, if somebody were to miss the prayer in jama'ah, there's a narration that comes. If a person was to regularly miss the prayer in jama'ah, that was a sign that he's probably a munafiq, that he's a hypocrite. The salah was the sign that the so-and-so is a Muslim. And they knew that. They knew that in order to be recognized as a Muslim, we have to show the Muslims that we're praying. If they're not praying, that was a clear sign that that was a hypocrite. SubhanAllah. We look at our state today, very often, how many of us are missing prayer? How many of us are negligent of prayer? The prayer was, was almost synonymous to Iman. In fact, not almost in Quran, there are occasions where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word Iman to describe salah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about uh, about the prayer um, Allah Ta'ala and one of the verses in the beginning of it is not coming into my mind but over there Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uses the word Iman and but it's referring to prayer but it's referring to prayer we see the, the uh, uh, close and strong connection between prayer and Iman Uh, yeah, Allah Ta'ala says, وَمَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala will not render uh, your acts of sincere faith futile. And here, Mufassirin say that it's referring to to prayer. مَا كَانَ اللَّهُ لِيُضِيعَ إِيمَانَكُمْ 
So here, notice that Iman was made synonymous to prayer. Right? So that was the sign of the believer. Munafiqeen, what would they do? Just so that they are recognized as Muslims, they would pray. But if they're in their private life, they had no care about prayer. Their heart was completely detached from prayer. One of the signs, uh, you know, Nabi also mentioned in one hadith, that on Yawmul Qiyamah, seven types of people will be under the shade of Allah's throne. One of these individuals is who? Rajulun qalbuhu mu'allakum bil masajid. Is that in man whose heart is attached to the masjid? Some of the scholars explain what does this mean? It doesn't necessarily mean that he's in the masjid 24-7. What that means is, why would your heart be connected to the masjid? Is because of the prayer. So when the prayer comes, he's in the masjid. Then he has to leave the masjid. He cannot stay there for a long time. He has to work. He has other responsibilities he has to take care of. When he goes back, he's constantly aware of the next prayer time. So when the next prayer time comes, he's again back in the masjid. Rajulun qalbuhu mu'allakum bil But the munafiq, he has, he, what is his condition? فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَابُونَ They are completely unmindful and negligent about, about the prayer. Now, this ayah is not talking about the believers who sometimes it happens with us while we're praying, we sometimes our attention goes away. Although we should try our best to, when that happens, try to bring back our attention, bring back our focus. And in fact, some of the mashayikh say that when you're in prayer and while in prayer, if you're in this constant battle where your mind gets diverted, your mind and your attention go somewhere else, but then you try to bring it back. Then again, it goes somewhere else. And then again, you bring it back. Inshallah, that person will get double the reward. Why? One, for, for trying to concentrate. And number two, for the mujahada, the difficulty that he's facing, having to constantly bring back his attention, constantly bring back his attention. And this is one of the reasons, <coughs> subhanAllah, look at the beautiful teachings of the Prophet ﷺ. If a believer makes any mistake in the prayer, what does he do? If, if there's a wajib element that's left in the prayer, then you make it up by doing what? Two sajda. It's called sajda to sawm. SubhanAllah. You miss something from the prayer, you can make something wajib, a wajib element. You can make it up by what? Doing two sajda sahu at the end. It, it's, it's like shaitan tried to divert you and he made you make a mistake. The very thing that shaitan dislikes is sajda. So what's the, the way to repair it? Do two, two more sajdas, two extra sajdas. It's like a slap in shaitan's face. In the hadith it comes that a person, the closest that a person is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in sajda. فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ يُرَاءُونَ they do whatever actions that they do, whether it's prayer, whether it's giving charity, whatever action, it, the motivation behind it is to show off, to show off to other people. Now we said ma'un here in the linguistic sense means any common item, could be any common household item. Some have said that it means like, you know, for example, a cooking pot or, you know, maybe somebody, you know, like, uh, common uh, even food items like salt or something like that. If somebody asks you for it and 
these are people who, when they're asked for these small common household items, they refuse to share it. And they're so stingy. They're so stingy. But where does stinginess come from? It comes from, it stems from love of this world. What do they do when they're asked? They refuse to give it. Now, some scholars and some of the uh, uh, great Sahaba and Tabi'un have said that this actually is referring to zakat. Why? Because if Allah Ta'ala said, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ And the, this wail is being attached to those who are negligent in prayer and they also refuse to give uh, uh, you know, these common things. You know, technically speaking, it's not an, uh, an obligation. It's not mandatory on you to share these things. Somebody asks you for, you know, a, a salt, or somebody asks to borrow, you know, some sort of common household item, and you refuse. It's not a sin, right? So if Allah Ta'ala is saying fawail, which is meaning woe be onto that individual, and that's very severe, it must be referring to something which is mandatory, and that is zakat. And if it is zakat, it it, it works as well. So of this uh, Ali radiAllahu an, Ibn Umar radiAllahu anhuma, Hassan Basri. Rahimahullah uh, and Qatada Rahimahullah, they're of this opinion that Al Ma'un here is referring to zakat. Why? Because zakat is what? 2.5% of your wealth. What is 2.5%? 2.5% is so small. And yet they refuse to give that. Some scholars have made a connection. They said that if a person is refusing to give small, common household items, then of course he's going to refuse to give zakat. And this person is so stingy. This person is so enamored with the love of this dunya that he cannot even part away with small common household items. So woe be unto him. Love of this world has made them blind, has made them stingy. You know, one of the benefits of giving zakat and sadaqah in general is that it slowly detaches a person's heart from the dunya. It purifies a person's heart from the dunya. If a person is not even giving zakat, then it means that this person is completely enamored with the world. And that zakat on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, as it comes in the hadith, مُثِّلَ لَهُ مَالُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ أَقْرَى لَهُ زَبِيبَتَانِ On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, his, uh, uh, his uh, uh, wealth will be transformed into a, a snake, a, one, the most venomous types of snakes. And it will constantly bite him. And it will say to him, Ana maluk, ana kanzuk. I'm your wealth. I'm the money that you used to hoard. I'm your wealth and treasure that you used to hoard in the dunya. In, in the eye of the Quran, yawma yuhma alayha, yawma yuhma alayha, majunubuhum these people will be, it comes in some narrations that these people will be made to, uh, uh, will be thrown on the ground and the very wealth that they refuse to give, that will trample over them. For example, you know, in the past, if a person has, you know, cows or cattle or, you know, uh, uh, camels or goats, those very things will be made to trample over them on Yom and they will be burned on their sides, on their back from the, the very wealth that they used to refuse to give. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect. I recommend, you know, this is something that Allah, Nabi sallallahu 
has mentioned that a person should often give sadaqah. One of the biggest, biggest, keep in mind, when a person gives sadaqah, it does not decrease your wealth. Nabi Sallallahu says in a hadith that no one has ever given sadaqah that it, it, it causes decrease in their wealth. Never has it happened that a person gives sadaqah and is going to cause decrease. It's something we may not be able to understand. In our mind, we're thinking, well, if I'm going to give this much money in sadaqah, it's decreasing my wealth. But a believer, his sight is not limited to this world. His, his sight goes beyond this world to the hereafter. And he recognizes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the unlimited power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if, uh, this is what Nabi Sallallahu is saying, that he believes in it wholeheartedly, that sadaqah does not decrease wealth. So, on the one hand, a person who's giving sadaqah, there's barakah coming, there, his wealth is not decreasing, and uh, Allah Ta'ala is giving him more. On the other side, one of the spiritual benefits of giving sadaqah is his heart slowly becomes purified from the love of this world, and it becomes attached to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why infaq fi sabilillah, giving for the sake of Allah Ta'ala, is such a, such a, a, a holds such a high reward. In one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, when should you give? Give وَأَنْتَ صَحِيحٌ شَحِيحٌ Give sadaqah when you are healthy and you are like desirous of wealth. Usually when you're, when you're old and you're about to pass away, that's when you're saying, oh, okay, 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 let's, let's give more sadaqah, let's give more sadaqah. No, when you're healthy and well and you're, you're like more, you're the most desirous of wealth, that's when you should part away with it. That's when you should give it in sadaqah. You fear that you could become poor and you desire for more. Otherwise, at, when you become old and you're at your deathbed and now you're going to say, okay, I want to give this much in sadaqah and this much in sadaqah. Guess what? There's a point in time where you can no longer give. Even in sharia, if a person gets to their deathbed, at that time, if they're saying, I want to give this much and this much, they will only be allowed to give in one third, no more than that. Why? Because now those who will inherit, their right becomes established for that wealth. So now they cannot do anything. They, they can only do it for the one third that they have left. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give us the tawfiq to give sadaqah often. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, all of these, even though the surah may be in the context of, a, of disbelievers and hypocrites, there are things within the surah that we should reflect. These were characteristics of non-Muslims. These were characteristics of disbelievers and hypocrites. We should analyze our own self and try to work on them. We should not be those who are uh, who repel the orphans or who, who refrain from feeding the poor and discouraged from feeding the poor. We should not be people who are negligent of our prayers. Here, the idea is these people, the very concept of prayer, they're negligent from. Like they don't want to pray at all. That's the idea behind an salatihim. Okay, the word is an salatihim, not fi salatihim. An salatihim, they're completely negligent of the prayer itself. Forget about praying. They're, they're, they, they have complete detachment from the prayer. And they refuse to forgive zakat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, allow us to understand and benefit from what was said, what was heard, and give us tawfiq to give sadaqah often. 
and allow us to purify our hearts so that on Yawmul Qiyamah we have that closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we are able to, to uh, attract the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa ant, astaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.